0: Hello and welcome to My Camino, the podcast, an outside version. I'm Dan Mullins. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, a series of ancient pilgrimages across Europe. And pilgrims aim to arrive at the remains of Christ's apostle, St. James, in the Spanish city of Santiago de Compostela, St. James under a field of stars. Just before I begin this week's episode, a bit of homework. I was lucky enough recently to be invited to write a chapter of a book called My Camino Walk, Volume 1. Well, the book was this week, the number one book on Amazon's travel category. So I'm one of 20 authors who contributed to the book. I wrote the foreword as well. It's a brilliant resource for people thinking of walking and an excellent read for pilgrims who want to revisit their journey. And big news in relation to the song I wrote on the Meseta last year. Somewhere along the way, the Camino song. The song and video are now finished, will be released very soon. In fact, in the next couple of weeks. Both the song... And video will be available worldwide. I'll confirm dates and times in the next few weeks. So, to this week's episode. We're sitting in Gladstone Park under the sun. I always start with a quote, and I now receive emails and messages from people all over the world suggesting quotes. And I also keep an eye out as I wander about here in Sydney. And I saw a man in a department store this week with a T-shirt that said, You're a ghost driving a meat-coated skeleton made from stardust riding a rock hurtling through space. Fear nothing. So I did a bit of research, and actually nobody has laid claim to that quote. You're a ghost driving a meat-coated skeleton made from stardust, riding a rock hurtling through space, so fear nothing. I suppose it's right. Most importantly, the last part, fear nothing. And on my way to the shops where I saw that quote, my iTunes player started playing one of my old podcasts, Tanya Titherley. And Tanya's blog is called Midlife Vagabond, and she quotes the author Brené Brown, who wrote... People may call what happens in midlife a crisis, but it's not. It's an unravelling, a time when you feel a desperate pull to live the life you want to live, not the life you are supposed to live. And the unravelling is a time when you're challenged by the universe to let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Fear nothing. Well, my guest this week is an Australian pilgrim, Emma Dunwoody. And I've never had met Emma until a month before she was due to head to St. Jean-Peter Port. We sat down, had a coffee. And I sort of gave what I could in terms of advice. Emma's only been home about a week or so, maybe two. I wanted to see if I could capture the Camino glow. Welcome, Pilgrim.
1: Mm, Hello. Thank you. How was it? Wow, it was amazing. You know, it's actually that quote that you just read. That's basically what happened. You know, like I went over there as the person I thought I should be, and I've come back more the person I am. So it's pretty cool. I loved it. Loved it.
0: Did you get through unscathed, would you say?
1: Um, No. God, no. There was definite rock bottoms, uh, more than one. There was really, really hard times. I was, on the first day, I remember thinking, oh shit, I can't do this. Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I've overfaced myself. Um, and that wasn't the last time that I thought that. So yeah, no, I didn't come unscathed, but I'm definitely a much better person for it.
0: Tell us about that first day, the Pyrenees.
1: <clears throat> wow. Well... I am the sort of person who tends to jump into things without doing a whole lot of planning. So I hadn't read everything or anything about it. Um, just to know that, in fact, I didn't even know the day before I started, I didn't even know there were two options. I didn't know that you could go up and over or around. And of course, when we came to discussing it the day before, I was like, well, surely you'd just go up and over. Um, and in our case, they were talking a lot about weather because the weather was really bad um, and so it, was all, it would all come down to what the weather was like, whether or not we'd go up and over or around. And on, and the morning of it, we went in really early to the, the pilgrim office and they said, oh, yeah, you'll be fine. You know, off you go. So we, we set off and um, realised pretty quickly that the, the weather was sort of closing in. We had a bit of sun for the first two hours, which was really challenging. The first two hours was massively challenging. And when I got to Orison, I remember a friend of mine walking out um, and saying, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna head off now because uh, the next part's a lot more difficult than we've already done, and I want to take my time." And that moment, I just my heart dropped. I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> and she was right. Um, but it was challenging in different ways. So I think that's more what I found is that you'd think you'd overcome one challenge and then be something completely different right in front of you. So that was the the first 24 hours for us. We we were in like. I think it was about six degrees. Then as we got to the top, it started snowing. It was sleet. It was foggy. It was freezing cold. And at one point, just before we got off the road, so we never got to see the view or anything like that, um, just before we came off the road and went onto the muddy track, we came around this corner and there was this van. And uh, it was this guy all set up with hot chocolate and fruit and all sorts. And I was like, I practically went running from some like, slow-motion movie you know, picture to this guy like, I need hot chocolate, and I swear it was the best hot chocolate I've ever tasted in my entire life.
0: I know, remember that guy? Yeah, he's right on the edge of the of the ravine there. It's beautiful, but you couldn't see any view. No,
1: nothing. We literally could see two feet in front of us. That's it. And as we were walking along the top of the the Pyrenees, we only knew we were up there because I could see the sheer drop on one side. But it was freezing cold, gale force winds, snow, sleet. It was massively intense. And I'd gone with this. Like two dollar poncho that you buy for the footy, you know. Like I was completely not prepared for that that sort of weather. Um, And then once we got over the other side um, and started coming down, that was that was uh, a whole new challenge because your body was so extremely exhausted to get up. But then on the way back down, like your knees start screaming and your legs start screaming. You're like, oh my god. And then once we got to Roncesvalles. And we're standing there in this queue, and you know, we stood there in the queue for a bed for an hour thinking this wouldn't have, this wouldn't be the case because we're in May, like it's the 2nd of May, it's not meant to be busy. And um, I'm standing there and people keep saying, oh, why don't you, t- why don't you sit down? And I was like, I can't because if I sit down or take my pack off, there is no way I'm getting up or putting that thing, picking that thing back up, you know, I was really at the end of my, yeah. my limit and we got in and just before it was our turn to get a bed we were told that's it we're full you know like um and because they weren't prepared they might not be able to open the basement luckily in the end they opened the basement so we slept in the basement but there was just like the first 24 hours were incredibly confronting and as i went to sleep that night i was like wow i've had the most incredible day and i'm terrified you know of what what tomorrow might bring but yeah woke up and it was It was the most beautiful morning. They actually wake you up in Roncesvalles with them singing. Yeah. And I was like, okay, it's going to be a good day. And for some reason, my body had bounced back, you know, like your body amazes you on on the Camino, like it bounces back so quickly. And, yeah, we set off for the rest of the adventure.
0: So how many people were behind you at that stage? Were you the last people in in Roncesvalles? Oh, no. The question I was going to ask is how busy was it? You walked in May and June. How busy was it just by and large?
1: Well, it was, qu- it was quite busy. Um, obviously we had no context, but I met a number of people. There was one woman I met that she was on her ninth Camino. She'd done it nine years in a row. And she said that this year was, um, like walking it, uh, at the beginning of the, of the season. Uh, it was really, really busy. So she'd never seen it this busy at this time of year before. So when we were queued up, they filled the basement. So there was, um, four levels of the, the monastery. Then they opened the basement, which would be another maybe 40 beds. And they were all full. Everything was full. They had to ship people out in other places.
0: So do you remember how you first heard about the Camino de Santiago?
1: That's a really good question. Someone asked, asked me that the other day. And I don't know where I knew it from. I've, I've been aware of it from for a long time. Um, I think I've read a number of books about it. Um, but it was actually a girlfriend of mine that I reconnected with and just as a flippant comment, um, at the end of last year, I said, I was thinking about it and she's done it and her partner's done it. And she's just like, just go book the flight. And I literally hung up the phone, went and booked the flight, um, or my husband booked it for me and it was done. And then I, I didn't think too much about it. I was like, okay, cool. I'm going. And the the two weeks leading up to it, other than doing all my planning, I was just riding the roller coaster. like, what am I doing? Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, my God, this is stupid. What am I doing? Oh, this is so good. This is so exciting. So, yeah, it was, it just happened. It's
0: just happened. Your girlfriend, no doubt, would have told you about the spiritual and mystical, in adverted commas, nature of, of the Camino and its history mm-hmm. and legacy. Are you a spiritual person?
1: I am a spiritual person. And the girlfriend that actually um, told me about it, she had had a very spiritual experience on the Camino Um, like so many people who have done the Camino You know, when you haven't done it you want to hear all these stories but no one tells you anything they're like no no you have your own experience Um, but I did know in Anna's case that she'd had a a hugely um, spiritual experience and I am so I think there was part of me that I tried not to put any expectations on um, how that would uh, manifest uh, which is a good thing because my greatest lesson for the whole thi- the whole um, probably the whole Camino was the awareness that learning about everybody else's experience is one thing but being able to learn what spirituality let's say is for me and how I experience is a lot more important than trying to have someone else's experience Sure. Does that
0: make sense? yes it makes perfect sense and that's what my next question is what does spirit mean to you
1: so for me, spirit means uh, spirituality is all about connecting to um, the energy of the world of the planet. Um, I the energy of the Camino I was really aware of um, at the beginning, the middle, and the end. Um, I had a really hard time in the middle um, doing the maseta, um, and I don't mean hard as in um, you know, like it was all physically challenging, but physical challenge has never been something that stops me it's the in the middle the the energy I felt very disconnected from myself there was a lot of thinking going on you know a lot of self assessment um you know inner critic kind of stuff going on in my head the whole time which again is really um not not a huge thing for me so from Laying that back over spirituality, spirituality is when you are connected to that part of you that you feel guided. You know, it, it, I talk about it, it's power versus force. So instead of forcing your way through life or forcing something to happen, it's power to allow things to happen. So, yeah, that makes sense?
0: Yes, absolutely it does. And it's interesting you should say that because there are two types of energy. One is the energy in the ground, the energy in the other people, the energy in the history and the energy in the spiritual nature of what you're doing. And then there's the energy to get up every day and to get up mountains and to get down mountains. And that takes a lot of energy. But we draw from that energy to give ourselves the other energy, don't we? That spiritual energy.
1: Yeah, that's so true. That's absolutely true. Like every morning, I mean, I remember day three, I was like, oh God, I don't think I can get up. I was exhausted. You know, like I'd sort of, yeah, but I was just tired. Um, and it was the first morning um, that I hadn't sort of bounced out of bed, uh, but that was the only morning I noticed it. Every other every other morning, even if I was tired or physically tired or something, the minute I was aware I was awake, I was excited. Like I wanted to get on the road, I wanted to um, just see what the day had. So I, yeah, I think that that energy of the Camino does it, pulls you forward yeah. instead of you having to force your you way up every day yeah
0: I want to talk about a beautiful characterization that you and your Camino family family came up with <laughs> three different types of mm-hmm. pilgrim mm-hmm. so tell us about that
1: so my beautiful friend Ollie um, he a German guy that I met um he and I connected because he, he's a psychologist and I'm a behavioralist. So we talked a lot about the patterns and the people and, you know, the things that we saw, um, from a distance, if you like. And we met in, uh, where was it? In Leon. And he said, Oh, I've just, I've seen the most beautiful thing. I've seen that there, there's, there's three types of walker. Group one is the, I want to win. I want to get there at any cost. They have all the good stuff and, and, and they, they're up the earliest and they're off and they're away. And then there's group two, which is most of the walkers. It's the biggest group. And they get up and they walk and they they're leave by 6.30 and they do all these things because they believe that that's what they have to do. And they're really happy being a part of that group. And then there's group three that sort of get up when they want to get up. They generally walk alone. They sort of connect and disconnect when they want to and they're just a little bit different to the others now all the three groups are you know perfectly equal no no one's better or worse than anyone else but the the thing that we then realized is it's like are you walking in the right group for you and this really resonated with me because i'd been walking in group three but i'm a group uh, sorry walking in group two but i'm a group three and then, then the taking that one step back is how you how you walk is how you work or how you live. So then, being able to take that frame onto your life, like, wow, I'm forcing myself into a group that I that I'm actually not belonging in. I belong in something else. So that's that. Yeah, group one, two, three walkers.
0: Yeah, because it's a great metaphor for life. Because when we talked about it last week, I, I was saying, yeah, well, we, so often we find ourselves not just in the community but in life as well, being forced into group one when we we really should be group two. Mm. Or, indeed, group three and, and sort of going along with everybody else because that's what's expected of us. Mm-hmm. This is precisely what I began by saying. This unravelling, this midlife vagabond, as Tanya Tiddly said, mm. is this unravelling when we we realise, hang on, I'm not living the life I want to. I'm living the life I should. Mm. And that's a great metaphor, the Camino. Delivered it to you. Bang, you're in Leon yeah. and you're thinking... Must have been an amazing experience. Yeah, it
1: was. It was incredible. And I mean, we talked about it at length, but the beauty of it was, is that I could wake up the next day and go, right, I am consciously choosing group three. What does that mean for me? And so instead of doing the, I should, I, you know, unconsciously can go into my conditioning. I consciously go, right, well, if I'm going to walk in group three, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to get up a little bit later. And I'm going to walk slower and I'm going to have a lot more faith that my bed will be there at the end of the day. And I'm going to stop when I want to stop and I'm going to talk to whoever I want to talk to. Or in, in one case, I'm going to stop talking to someone I don't yeah. want to talk to anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, it changed my experience of the Camino that like I walked that way for the last third and it was incredible. And talk about spirituality. I felt really connected to um, myself and the entire experience.
0: I think it's important too, isn't it, to point out that some people are group ones and love being oh, group yeah. ones. I'm
1: married to a group one. Like when I was explaining this to my husband, he's like, I'm so group one. Oh, uh-huh, you are. You are. As I say, there, there's no right or wrong. There's yeah, no, yeah. you don't have to be in any group. It's the one that, that you are in your heart, not the one you are in your head.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and let me ask you then a wider question. Why are we so fearful then? Why are we fearful to travel in the group we know we should be traveling in?
1: Oh, that's easy. Cause we're worried what other people think of us, you know, like so often it's, it's either this, this, this conditioning that we live with every day, you know, this conditioning to get up and do what we should do, um, as opposed to ever being taught, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? Where do you where do you want to be spending your time? Yeah, so I, I think it all comes down to, to that and then that we are human beings and from a cellular level up, all we want to do is belong to something greater than us and I think that when people feel devoid of that thing to belong to, it's about belonging to the group. So that would also be, that would suggest to me that perhaps that's why group two is the biggest group because... They feel the need to belong, and this is where they find the belonging, where the Group 1s and the Group 3s perhaps don't have that that need to belong to that group because they have something else. You know, maybe the Group 1s have achievement. And I know from a point of view of being a Group 3 myself, mine is spirituality, you know? Like it's that, well, I'm just walking at my own pace, and I literally was that, that person. Like one of my friends said, what's with all the weird people that stop and look at animals? Yeah, that's me. You know, I'd stand there and watch a hawk just flying about okay. and, and so that that was for me where I found the connection a connection to the to the, the, the path itself. I know when I was in um, where's the Templar castle uh,
0: Ponferrada
1: yeah so when I was there and walking around that the castle it blew, it just blew me away that the Knights Templar and I were walking he, they'd walked on the same um, bricks that I was walking on so for me my sense of belonging came from the greater experience as opposed to the group although I have as you say a very close Camino family but I didn't need to be with them every day I much preferred to have my experience and then bring all of our experiences together at night.
0: You know you told me last week over coffee you hope to maintain that focus on remaining true to yourself as you begin your pilgrimage at home mm-hmm. that's not going to be as easy I think as we think it's going to be And and you were just talking about that unravelling being who you want to be and not who you feel you should be. There's that Brené Brown quote, the unraveling's a time when you're challenged by the universe to let go of who you think you are supposed to be and embrace who you are. Identify your group, as it were, and Mm -hmm. trust your gut feelings, right? Mm -hmm. So you missed your family a great deal when you were in Spain, your husband and two boys. Mm -hmm. How have you described to them what you went through?
1: Ooh, that's a really good question. I think so I was actually in contact with them every day which a lot of my um you know Camino friends are like you what how are you connected to them every day but it was very important especially for the kids for them to have that experience so they rode the roller coaster with me I think the one of the really cool things is I I am very what you see is what you get so I'm not the mum who feels terrible inside but tries to show a brave face like I'm I will always show a brave face, but if I'm feeling something, I feel something. So I think my kids understood the journey because some days I would be like, this place is incredible. And then some days I would burst into tears because I'm like, I I miss you as much as you miss me. Um, So I think my kids really took away from it that just because something is hard or challenging or um, at times you want to give up. that it's worth sticking it out you know they experienced it every day with me and in the last third when there was um a significant shift in me they experienced it they saw it so i think for my kids it's as it is for me this beautiful enclosed experience with a beginning a middle and an end where they can refer back to like that beautiful um saying i think it's wayne dyer that said it uh, this too will pass, like understanding and seeing mummy in the depths of like, oh, this is hard, that, that it passes. Mm. So, yeah, I think the whole entire journey and experiencing it with me is something for them to take away.
0: And they'd be fiercely proud of you too.
1: Oh, very much so. Very much so. Especially my 11-year-old, he, he kept saying, oh, everyone's talking about you at school, mummy. They just think you're amazing. And I'm like, oh, that's beautiful, honey. You know. So they were both very proud, yeah.
0: You know, we were talking about the Masetta early, and it really challenged you. And you talked again there about that middle section. Let's just explore that. You, you, you said you sometimes found that some of the toilets were locked, and and you mm-hmm. found that negative energy. Just explain elaborate elaborate on that a little bit for me.
1: So the energy of the Camino, like especially on completion and then complete reflection, I realized how um, you know abundance. Uh, comes from attitude and and not the other way around and what i mean by that is that when you start the camino you're in this environment especially in roncesvalles you're in this environment where they they take care of you and in, in Saint john they take care of you and they're preparing you and they're nurturing you and there's this beautiful safe energy about it and you get underway and the first three days you're getting into the rhythm and you feel like everyone's really they're with you and they're nurturing you and they're, and they're taking care of you and then slowly that begins to change. Um, you're a little bit more out there on your own as you grow confidence and you, you grow your Camino legs. And then you hit the meseta. And the meseta, one of the girls I was walking with, she kept talking about it. And because, of course, I hadn't done much reading, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, it can't be that bad, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm Little Miss Optimist. Can't be that bad. And and it, it it's really challenging because it's like... What felt like a a huge, um, nurturing, belonging environment sort of just flattens out. And it's like the space between just gets squished. And what I mean by that is the energy... You're a lot more on your own and you walk through these towns that are almost like ghost towns. And when you go in to um, have a break, you know, I got yelled at once because the, the culture is that you walk into the bar you say, hola, you say hello, and you order whatever you're going to order, and then you can go to the toilet. Um, and one day I was so busting, I sort of ran in, and the, the guy behind the bar yelled at me, hola, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, 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 ah, okay, yes, sorry. Um, and it was almost like, you have to be this way. You have to be this way to be here. And it was a real shift in that energy. And I noticed that in the land, in the... Because the, the road is just long and flat and the land is very, you know, um, inland Australia, like flat red dirt, there's not a lot growing, there's, there's crops, but th- it's not um, luscious in any way. And I, I noticed that the people's attitudes got a little bit tighter, a little bit more what's in it for them. And then all of a sudden, I think it's, um, is it, Sur- no, it's two, what's two, two or three days before Syria, it then again all starts to change again. When you start to walk up to um, uh, for, 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 Yeah. then all of a sudden it starts to shift. And, of course, the landscape's shifting as well. And you notice the energy gets all the space between it again. It's the best way I can explain it. And all of a sudden you go back into this environment where people start to take care of you a little bit more or at least you feel like, it's, it's, uh, like you want to be there. And then I notice once you get to Surya, where the numbers increase um the actual albergues and everywhere you can eat every day they, they are really like they're welcoming and warm and, and you feel like you're back in this energy again so yeah the energy really shifts and change and you move with it and i actually wondered how much of my tough time in the meseta was me creating that negativity in me or it's just part of the land
0: you know, I've talked before on the podcast about thin spaces. And if you're interested in week 20 with Margaret Caffin and week 49 with Ted Walker, places where you find the energy so powerful, it's as if this world and the spirit world are blending thin spaces. You found thin spaces, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, a number of places. I'm trying to think where they... Wherever the, wherever the landscape was luscious it was it was the people seem to follow the landscape if that's if that's makes sense um you know one town that really uh spoke to me was porta what's it porta marin porta marin yes like and maybe it's the the beach bunny in me that it was this little seaside town even though i think it's a lake yeah. um <laughs> and it, but just the whole vibe of the place was was very different um But, yeah, there were a lot of thin, thin spaces. That's a really good question. I think I need more time to think about it.
0: What I found was I would just find myself thinking, "What? something's happening here. Mm. It was almost as I could feel things. I've, I've talked before in my podcast when I... When I came back and I had left a lot of emotions on the Camino, and I, when I got went back there, they were there waiting for me, oh, wow. which was quite extraordinary, yeah, really, yeah. quite a quite a, an emotional thing. Still, I get shivers up my spine now thinking about it, yeah. and that's a very thin space for me. I think we, we we all find or necessarily create our own thin spaces.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the one that's come to mind was a big turning point for me. Actually, um, I found myself. I wish I had all the names of these villages for you. <laughs> Um, where was it? There was this beautiful, beautiful town, and it was a very old town. And as you followed the Camino out, there was a bridge that came along and over a river, um, and you could walk up and over. Oh, what was it? It wasn't Villafranca. Maybe it was Villafranca.
0: Oh, that is Villafranca. Yeah? yeah, over the bridge and yeah, out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So this town really affected me. Um, In more ways than one, I arrived at the um, Albergue feeling really down. I loved the town as I walked in, and so I felt this this initial lift. And then we got to the Albergue, and I just noticed how down I was feeling. And as I walked in and we were sort of um, signing in, I noticed a photo on the board of a dog. And I said, Is this your dog? And he said, It is. And I said, Is he here? And he goes, yes he is would you like to take him for a walk and I went yes I would and my heart just skipped a beat like and this dog whose name is Ray would you believe is in ray of light I take this golden retriever for a walk and I'm sobbing I'm so excited to be with this dog you know and I I, the the 24 hours I spent there I was I was pretty much alone Um, and I was just riding this massive roller coaster right up down up down Um, And just crying a lot and I sat down in this little cafe near where we were staying And I noticed a friend of mine Patrick who I told you about the swiss guy He just appeared from nowhere. He just tend to do that like patty come in And I sit down with Patrick and I have this conversation and I say something to him about a choice that I want to make that I haven't Articulated to anyone and to be honest. I hadn't admitted to myself about how I wanted to change my walking um, experience And I said it out loud to him and he just looked at me and said, well, that's what you need to do. And in that moment, in that town, I made the decision to mix it up and do something very different. And from that point on, um, I moved not just in my head but in my heart from Group 2 to Group 3 and started to do everything the way I was called to do it as opposed to the way I was um, thinking I should do it. And that for me was a really thin space because it was a, it was somewhere like you don't often find yourself walking down the street sobbing your eyes out with a dog that you don't know, you know. Or the next minute with the dog, you're the most excited person on the planet. Like if people were looking at me, they might have thought I was a bit crazy. But it was a, a pivotal turning point and And the way it all worked, whether it was the dog, whether it was just Patrick just appearing just when I needed to have the conversation with probably the only person I would have admitted it to, like, for me, that is a thin space. It's like the universe is playing chess with me. Like, okay, let's push her right to the brink. Let's give the person she trusts, make him come here. Then the dog will make her all the mo- whatever, you know? So, yeah, that that would be one of my many experiences of how the Camino works. And we said that a lot. The Camino always, um, the Camino always delivers. The com- Camino always gives you what you need.
0: The Camino provides. That's it. You're a very energetic person, if I can use that term, in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. What's something my listeners can do to, to have a greater spiritual energy?
1: Oh, that's so easy. Stop thinking.
0: <laughs> now, that's not easy, though.
1: No, no easy that's to, not easy. easy to
0: answer the question, not easy to do.
1: Yeah. So it, it all comes down to, and this is something I've worked for many years on myself, and, and I, in, in my work I help other people do it, Um, But it's the shift from the ego to the heart. So the the thinking that we do, that is the ego. That's just a part of us. It's not right. It's not wrong. It's just the part of us that's trying to keep us safe. Um, Whereas from an energetic point of view, whether it's life or the Camino, if you can build your muscle to let go of control, let go of the ego, the thinking, the analysis, the having to know, Um, and be in a space where you allow things to present themselves or allow the next, you know, the the next experience to come and just focus on working through that experience, everything changes, you know, and the Camino is the perfect place to do that. Um, I walked every day, although I had a map, I never knew where I was until I thought, oh, it feels like I'm about 5 k's out and then I would ask. The Camino is so safe, You know, like you can fall down in any which way, physically, mentally, emotionally, and there will be someone there to pick you up. Um, Even when it goes horribly wrong, all that means is you might have to walk on to the next village or take a day off, or you might even have to, you know, go to hospital to have something fixed up. But generally, that never happens, you know? So the Camino provides an environment where you can just let go. Yeah.
0: That's right. It's, And that is very comforting, even though it's kind of confronting.
1: Yes. Yeah, because you think about it. Like, the letting go is the scariest thing you're going to do. Yeah, yeah. But once you let go and you realize you're okay, that's one of the most powerful things you're ever going to do. And every single time you're faced with something, you think, oh, my God, I can't do this. Like, me walking out at Orison. Like, that moment is so vivid for me right now. Like, I didn't articulate it to the group because I was really afraid. I was the strong one. I was the leader. I was the da-da-da-da.
0: And the group like, one.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> shit, I'm screwed. You know, like, there's no way. if, if, if yeah. It gets harder. So I think that that's the, the, the thing is that you get the opportunity to lose control, if I can say that, and realize that you're all okay. And, in fact, if you let go and just take one step at a time, perhaps you'll be better than before.
0: The that noise in the background is the local school coming out for lunch. And I was going to do something about it, but I kind of love it, actually. So I'm just going to, there's nothing much I can do, really, I suppose. You wrote on Facebook last week, Emma, we live in a world striving for perfect on the hunt for happiness. Happiness comes from inside, from honoring who we are, all of us. Happiness comes from remembering who we are on the inside and then applying it to our world. Ask yourself, who am I and what have I got to help others? Ask yourself, how can my uniqueness serve this planet and its people? And to serve one is as important as serving many. Who knows who that one person could become? Be you first. And I imagine it's like anything you need to keep practicing to keep a spiritual fitness, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's funny, like when we just met before, I'm doing another post because one of my friends Anne, that I met on the Camino, she just came back to me. I asked her a question. Apparently in the first 30 seconds of knowing her, I asked her about, you know, what, what is it that drives her to walk so far? Cause she walks these big days. Um, and just today she has an answer. So she's posted that on, on my Facebook. So I'm posting about it every day because, or at least as often as I can, because I want to bring all these lessons back. You know, the group one, group two, group three. The live where We all live externally first. So we go, what do we need to do or be or have out there? And then we try to apply it to ourselves where, just like I wrote in that post, no, 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 I'm a group three. I do things a bit differently. Um, I like to go at my own pace. Um, I have all of these things about me. I'm a little bit non-conventional. Um, so how can I then apply that to my external world? So all of these lessons that I learned on the Camino, it's about actively implementing them and making sure that they become a part of my life out here. And there's been some really big, big um, questions and places in my life where, I, where I'm going to have to be brave and courageous and continue to do that because change isn't necessarily easy. But I know as... We just said that once I've done it or once I've um, implemented and and created lasting change that you know I'm going to be happier than I was before and I was pretty happy before and I'm getting happier and happier every day so it's working you know
0: what surprised you most about the pilgrimage (gasps)
1: good question what surprised me most What surprised me most? I think the thing that surprised me the most was how quickly I chose to break all the rules. Because in a lot of, as I say, I'm non-conventional, but there's a lot of unwritten Camino rules. Um, You know, how far you walk in a day, what time you get up in the morning, whether you carry a pack or not. Um, There's a lot of yeah just unwritten rules and no one actually judges anyone for anything they don't care you know like there's no buses or taxis and blah blah blah. and as i went along i was a bit like but why and i just i think there was a part of me that just had to break every single rule to then put it back together again and go well what what is my camino what is my experience so i think that how quickly i went oh no i'm not going to do it the way everyone's telling me to do it no no i'm just going to try it my way
0: What's the most important thing about being a pilgrim?
1: Oh, the human being that you are, far out. The most important thing about being a pilgrim is that you're all in it together. Everyone is equal. Everyone takes care of each other. Everyone, you know, just mucks in. I have this beautiful experience of just standing at a bus stop. This is the day before, on our way to St. John. And I literally knew one person when I arrived at that bus stop. And by the time I got on the bus, an hour later, I knew 30. Five of which we had helped through a number of things, you know, situations, um, you know, connected and become close friends. And it's that. It's this, the human that you are when you're a pilgrim and on the pilgrimage is that you drop all your identity. You don't, the judgment disappears. Um, all of these things that our world kind of, we put on as barriers to keep us safe. We just leave at the door. So the human being that you are as a pilgrim and the acceptance and the willingness to help and be there together, that's it. It's just beautiful.
0: What made you happy on the Camino?
1: Oh, wow, what made me happy? I loved the days that I walked on my own, but I think the happiest was when I connected with everyone at the end of the day. And I could ask, you know, what was your day like? What did you experience? And just hearing everyone talk, um, I loved the deep connection. So that's the thing I love the most in the world. I think, um, funnily enough, it's you know kind of also the work that I do. Um, I have a few memories of sitting in a in a group, and people that we've known for a few days, and you ask a question um, about something that's probably a bit deeper than you would normally ask someone you've known for three, da- three days, and then all of a sudden there's the, you're all sitting around crying, or you're belly laughing, or you're, you know, <laughs> bearing your soul, you know, like, and that's my favourite thing, because yeah. one of my other posts was like, vulnerability is cool on the Camino, it's cool to be vulnerable, it's cool to be c- crying, it's cool to... Um, leave all that crap at the door and and really experience who you are and who other people are, you know, like the hugs. Oh my God, the way people hug each other out there. It's incredible. There's no, there's no BS. There's no ego. There's yeah, just real human connection.
0: I was going to ask you what made you sad, but I don't think I will. I'm going to take it one step further and ask you, did it, did, well, can you answer this? Did it meet your expectations? The Camino de Santiago?
1: Well, I was really big on not setting any expectations for it. Um, and there was no time that I was sad. but the time I was most challenged was the time where um, I was spent all my time with my shadow. So my shadow self is the part of me that, that I want to um, get rid of or ignore or shove down. Um, and that was right before the group one two three conversation it was when I was like oh god I, I suck because I just don't want to do this part or I suck because I'm tired or I suck because this is hard and I was on my own case and this is when I was walking the end of the meseta um, and I got to the end of a couple of days like this like just being on my own case for feeling whatever I was feeling and I realized it was like oh hang on a second if that's the worst I can do, if that's my shadow, if that's the part of me that that I'm not okay with, that's okay, you know, like I don't have to be perfect, I don't want to be perfect. Um, so that that was the biggest challenge is being so in the middle of nowhere on your own and being faced with your own worst thoughts about you and about life and your biggest fears. And once you sort of go, oh my God, most of it's not true, well, it's none of it's true, um, and it's just what I tell, I tell myself when I'm trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation. How about I just be uncomfortable? Yeah. My head's not going to explode. And once I just ex- accepted that it wasn't all of this stuff that I was thinking about me wasn't in fact true, and it was just me trying to get out of an uncomfortable situation, I was like, okay, I can do that. So, yeah.
0: There's now an entire second school has come out into the park around us. So we haven't got long to go. Look, I, 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 can you tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela?
1: Yes, I definitely can. So my experience, I noticed, was maybe a little bit different to a lot of pilgrims. As I walked in, I walked in alone. I was very clear I wanted to walk in alone. And as I um, walked in, I came down towards the, um, the cathedral and I was in quite a rush because I wanted to make the Mass. Um, at twelve o'clock. So I think it was about quarter past eleven, and I've and I've come into the square, and there's all these pilgrims crying and hugging each other, and they're all having this amazing, beautiful, emotional experience. And I'm feeling nothing at this point. I'm like, okay, cool, radio. I've made it, good. Oh, um. And there was a part of me that's like, okay, this is different. This is different for me. So we went into I went into the cathedral into mass and. Um, I'm not a hugely religious person, so I wasn't even really connected to the, um, the, I know ceremony's not the word, but you know what I mean, that a lot of the other people around me were. And I'm standing packed into this cathedral and everything's going on and the people are getting emotional. And I'm like, no, I'm good, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden I started to notice all my friends. So friends had been coming in for three days ahead and it just happened that they all were in this one mass And I saw like Georgie from Bulgaria and I started feeling it. And then I saw like then my other friend Annika was over there and then Rodrigo was over there and Matthew was over there. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I'm standing in this church sobbing because these were the people, the people were the thing that really made it for me. And and these humans I had shared, like they have a piece of my soul. Mm -hmm. So coming into Compostela, um really culminated being in that mass. And I was right at the back of the church and I could see everyone and they couldn't see me. So I was literally like talking to them, like in my, in my mind going, Oh, thank you so much for that. And oh, that moment was so beautiful. Oh, really connected with you then. Oh, remember when I met you? And that was incredible. Like, I'll never forget how beautiful that moment was. And of course, then it was over and we all got to hug and yeah.
0: Yeah. Being a human being is all about being human.
1: Mm, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's my favourite thing, being human. Yeah. The good, the bad, and the ugly.
0: Will you go back?
1: Uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm actually thinking I've got clients that are like, can you take us? So I might do it that way. I'll definitely take the family back. Um, we'll do it all together. Probably my husband will set off early and get there first, and he can find beds. My kids will do it at their own pace, and I'll be up the back. Um, but definitely, yeah. Definitely.
0: How would a mum go being a group one, two, or three?
1: Well, doesn't who knows you just have to give it a go right exactly
0: well good luck i loved following your journey online and having now caught up with you twice since you've returned you've kind of rekindled in me my camino spirit and i'm most grateful for that i'm also grateful for your honesty and your assessment and you've been able to put into words i think emma what many of us feel about pilgrim life so that's our camino all of ours together, which is really lovely. So thank you so much, and Buen Camino.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for all your help in the beginning. (laughs) And this, this is great. Thank you.
0: My guest this week, the Australian pilgrim, Emma Dunwoody. You're a ghost driving a meat-covered skeleton (laughs) made from stardust, riding a rock hurtling through space, fear nothing. And the author, Brené Brown, who said people may call what happens in midlife a crisis, but it's not. It's an unravelling, a time when you feel a desperate pull to live the life you want to live, not the one you're supposed to live. The unravelling is a time when you are challenged by the universe to let go of who you think you're supposed to be and embrace who you are. Fear nothing. Thanks for your company this week and every week. I'm Dan Mullins. Life is good. Buen Camino.